the past, the present, the future. This is Friday Night Fright. What the planet is listening to. As usual, this is recorded last. This is your boy in Austin of Friday Night Fright fame. And the reason I record this last is then technically I'm not lying when I say what's in the episodes. Because usually if I record this first, I end up mixing, matching stuff out of the episodes so it doesn't work in a linear order. But this week I've got a pretty so- solid episode for you guys. I've got Ian reads the script, um, which is fun. I enjoyed doing that. I've got Ian sings classics. You get Werewolves of London, which... I don't know if you'll enjoy it, but I had fun. You got um, me talking about the Joker movie, which is quite cool. Um, in Breakfast with Horror. And other bits, you got me doing some reading from from Dusty, Do- from Dusty Dawn's script. One of my favourite monologues in movie history, actually. So that's cool. And yeah, so quite an interesting episode ahead this week. Uh, apologies if it's not as good as you expected, or if it's worse, or if it's better than you expected. I apologise too, because what was I thinking? No, I, I had fun doing it, and I had fun making it, and I look forward to catching up with the next episode. Um, yeah, I think you'll enjoy it, as, you, as usual. We fry on Friday night, Mark. Oh yeah, I did show I did show movie of the week. I did Heckraiser, that's Hairraiser, spoken by someone can't say word hair, because I don't... I have trouble with my lures, so I say heck raiser instead. But I enjoy heck raiser. And yeah, just generally enough week enough podcast. I've not missed a week yet, so that's good. Um and well I hope you guys enjoy it and as usual, you know, show no signs of paying any attention to it whatsoever because that's what I like to hear. But anyway, I'll be back after a brief word from our sponsor. And that's time for another edition of Ian Sings Classics. This week's song is Werewolves of London by Warren Zevon. I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand walking through the streets of Soho in the rain. He was looking for the place called Lee Ho Foots for to get a big dish of beef chow mein. It's clumsy written, but okay. Ahoo! Werewolves of London. Ahoo! Ahoo! Werewolves of London. Ahoo! You hear him howling around your kitchen door. You better not let him in. Little old lady got mutilated late last night. Werewolves of London again. How do you know it's the werewolves? That sounds like something that takes place in London generally. Ahoo! Werewolves of London. Ahoo! Ahoo! Werewolves of London. Ahoo! Huh. He's the hairy-handed gent who rang a mocking Kent. Lately he's been overheard in Mayfair. You better stay away from him. He'll rip your lungs out, Jim. Okay, so the guy wrote the song does know there's a bit of difference between Kent and London, right? I don't think Werewolf is going to London particularly quickly from Kent. I'm just going to say it. You know, especially because werewolves are only werewolves three days out of a month. Rest time are humans. So even if his werewolf speed, by the time he gets London, it'll be morning. And it'll be a human game. And he'll just get drained back again. And then he'll have to come back to London. So it doesn't make any sense. Also, hairy hand is that referring to his hands being, hands being hairy or him being a chronic masturbator, am I right? Huh. I'd like to meet his tailor. I don't know why you don't meet his tailor, but fine. Ahoo. Werewolves of London. Ahoo. 
Ahu, werewolves of London. Ahu. Well, I saw Long Chaney walking with the Queen. Okay, sorry, I'm going to stop there. No, that would not happen. That would not have happened. <laughs> Could not happen nowadays for various reasons, but particularly not happened back then. Doing the werewolves of London, the Queen's not going to do werewolves of London. And also, Long Chaney's not actually a werewolf. I saw Long Chaney Jr. walking with the Queen. Wait, what? Why would Long Chaney and his son be walking with the Queen? Doing werewolves of London? Well, what is she doing? Why are they both... That's two generations of Chaneys and Queendom, Werewolf's London. I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trade of Vits. That's not a werewolf, that's a very hairy man. His hair was perfect. Nah. Ahu, Werewolves of London. Here, here, draw blood. Ahu, Werewolves of London. Well, that was fucking bizarre. I don't know what you guys got out of that, but I got very little and I also stumbled over some Chinese and probably made myself look like a complete embarrassment. But hey, it's another edition of being seen some classics. Classics in quotation marks. Um, I was going to sing some Bruce Springsteen. If I thought, hey, keep it hard focused. That would be the right idea. And that was the wrong idea. Because some songs should be heard. Not sung. Like, other people can sing them. Do a good job. Backing tracks and all that. But for me, the spoken word. It just, I suppose this song's been a bit of an embarrassment, I'm afraid. But hey, maybe next week will be better. And it's time for Breakfast with Horror. And as a rare treat, this is about a movie I've watched recently in the cinema. It should be an Ojin FNS Friday Night Fright Limitless thing, but it's not because I need content for this episode. So I'm going to be discussing that seminal movie, The Joker. Spoilers attached. Don't listen, don't want to be spoiled for Joker. I'm not kidding. You have 10 seconds and then I'm going to start spoiling the movie. One, two, three, four, five. I'm not kidding, guys. I'm actually going to spoil parts of the movie. Not the whole thing, but parts of it. Six, seven, eight, if you're still listening. I mean, at this point, you should know what you're in for. Nine, it's your last chance. I'm going to start a countdown from one to ten again. And when I get ten, I'll say ten twice. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and that's your countdown off point. If you don't want to be spoiled, you should have turned off by now. So I'm going to give you another few seconds. And ten. Okay, here we go. Um, the Joker is probably the second best movie I've seen this year. And the best super movie or combat movie I've ever seen. Or well, not one of them. The top three is obviously in no particular order. American Splendor, which is a masterpiece and is based on comic books. So, you know. um, the Joker, obviously. And Logan? Logan, I guess. Although... Because those are the ones where I feel like they won't actually make something more than some of their parts. I mean, a lot of combat movies like Avengers Endgame, trust me, that's amazing. That's perfect encapsulation for what a comic book is put on screen. But despite the fact that it's an incredible experience and very, very entertaining moving, I do really enjoy it a lot. I always classify it as that's, uh, even though it is really where it's cuted, that is a movie like I know it's an A movie in terms of prestige and acclaim and all that but I still have called B movie because it's popcorn at the end of the day it is popcorn and amazingly make popcorns a wonderful thing 
but at the same time, it's like it, it's still not saying anything about human condition. It's still not pushing boundaries of Sigma. It's still not a riveting character study or anything like that. I know people praise Tony Stark and Rob Down Jr.'s acting in it, but that's not even close to his best acting. And anyone who knows Rob Down Jr. would know that. And know that sounds somewhat elitist, but it's true. When you watch something like this, the joke of Joe Queen Phoenix, and I would argue that this is up there with his best acting. And I'd also argue it's the best performance by anyone in any of these comic book movies. It is a tour de force of acting in so many ways because fundamentally, how do you make people un even slightly understand character like Joker? And you do it by casting someone who's that fucking good at acting. And people sleep on Joker and Phoenix a lot, I think. Not not everyone, but you get a lot of people saying, oh, why doesn't he make these big budget movies and things like that, which is such a silly argument, because if you can do the smaller movies and make a name for yourself to the extent where you get paid decent money, why would you go and make big movies? Some people, not everyone wants to be a Hollywood actor. Some people just want to act. And they're so good at acting, they get promoted Hollywood anyway, but they get do it on their terms. You look at some like... It's a bit different, though, because Joker and Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman, obviously, is someone more open to doing slightly more commercial stuff like Mission Impossible 3 and whatnot, which Joker and Phoenix seems to feel like he's done that before and does need to go back to it. But this is a really tremendous performance. And especially this year when we've seen... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Leo playing Rick Dalton, who also dealt with a lot of mental health issues. It's been quite an interesting year for characters like that who allow people portrayed as having these emotional, psychological problems, but not being demonised for them, if that makes any sense. This movie makes pain to let us know that it's not just these conditions which cause Arthur Arthur's problems. It's a wider systemic issue with society, which in some ways is true. Obviously, that doesn't justify it because the whole point of the movie is that you go through these events and then, or he went through these events and he did this and it led to this. But I never get sentenced glorifying it. It's very much like Mind Scorsese, where it's very matter of fact. You show what the story is, you show what the characters do, you put it out there and people can form their own opinions. And unfortunately, a lot of people formed a lot of silly opinions about the movie, but it's fine. But ultimately, that's George's movie, because if you watch it back and actually think about it, this is a very, very clever and subversive movie, because how much of what we saw is actually what happened? How much is the Joker lying to himself, or lying to us, or lying to everyone who's investigating him because there's parts of this story and this is what I like where I got in a few arguments over this on several forums because um, people were quite adamant that their take on movies is the only possible take and my contrasting argument so I'm going to sneeze in a sec my contrasting argument was this is a movie about Joker and you're questioning and you're arguing as a fat there's only one possible interpretation for the movie. It's not... That's not how it works. This movie is like the Joker's life in comic books. It's multiple choice. You pick what works for you. 
and then you can just fight it. Because the movie's like, it's almost like a Rorschach, you know, puzzle. Rorschach inkblot even, where you see what you want to see, and that's fascinating, because F1 when Smooth came out, when Port came out, was worried that the movie would be very much like, this is what it is, a definitive origin story, and things like that. And then you find out that it's not really. It's It starts in the middle, because it's it's not picking up from its start onwards. We get back, information about back stories we go along, but at the same time, we get a lot of stuff quickly that suggests we pick up Arthur's story in the middle of it, and we're ending when he obviously becomes Joker, but we're not ending at the end. It's not his life story. It's not a biopic. It's a moment in his life, a few bad days, as the Joker would put it. And it's really fascinating, that regard, because they do a really clever job of keeping the movie very pacey and very interesting and playing with the idea of what is real and what isn't in a very terrifying way that will create a lot of rewatch bonuses because there's lots of scenes in the movie where the way it's shot you it's never given away visually that what we with what we're seeing is real or not and no people got quite worked up about that, but I thought that's brilliant because you see lots of movies and they clear like the old Nightmare in Street reboot or new ish Nightmare in Street reboot, where F times the dream sequence, the colour shift palette changes to green and red, so you know it's dream sequence. Whereas the trick is that you don't want no dream sequence. You want it to all flow so you're never sure quite what's happening and what's not happening. You are you should be like characters. And as movies portray through Arthur's perspective, he doesn't see any difference in what's real and what's not. So we shouldn't either, you know? And it's... The whole movie is just stunning. Like, my second favourite... I don't know which one's better, but this and Once Upon a Time Hollywood are my top two for this year. I don't see a lot of arty movies. I watch lots of movies, but I don't see lots of... Art house ones, so I'm just going by my personal standpoint of what I've seen, but those two are just wonderful epic movies made by. Well, we all know Tantino's great director, but where did this Todd Phillips come from? Because this. Although I, I suppose I say that, I like the Hangover movies. I don't think they're very good comedies, but I don't entirely know for a fact that that's what they were going for. I think that's how they're marketed, but. If you actually watch Todd Phillips' stuff, like Due Date, for example, it's marketed as comedies. That's used this way to market, but it's not. They're not really comedies. They're about hopeless people drawn together into impossible situations and try and come out the other way unscathed. It makes it perfect for a joke movie because his characters go through nightmare situations and usually they come out the other side there's optimism and things like that but in this movie it's like flip side flat showing that some things you can't come back from and also having an es- a slightly esoteric ending where Joe Arthur gets everything he wants but he can't enjoy it which is tragic on so many levels because then he says at one point my life's not a tragedy it's a comedy but then at the end it goes back being tragedy. So very clever, very, 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 very good movie. Very highly recommended. You should have already seen it. If you haven't, I'm sorry, but I gave you enough opportunity to leave with the spoiler warnings. But anyway, that's your breakfast with horror. Um, I saw Joker and it's one of the best movies I've seen all year. 
and probably up there my favourite comic book movie. It's made my favourite. I'd have to rewatch again, be sure, but there you go. And also, I know people are going to say, but yes, this is a horror movie in every conceivable way, except for being classified as a horror movie. It comes out in October. It's about a nightmare situation that you know is going to end badly, but you don't know how. And it's really tense, even in the comedic scenes, the music is just outright telling you things are going to get fucked up really quickly. And there's some scenes of staggering violence. So yeah, highly recommended. And this is Breakfast with Horror for another week. So, yay. And that's time for another fantastic edition of Ian Reese from one of his scripts. This week's script, Once Upon a Time in Aylesbury. Open on black. Text appears in dripping crimson. Title card. The way back when at the king's head. Exterior the king's head. Courtyard morn. A dainty wooden pavilion. Connie Moritzson sat on bench. The owner of this den. She smokes some menthols in his very deep in thought. It's a peaceful moment in stressful life. Two knots destroy her reverie. She ignores it at first. More knots come. They're not going to stop. Connie sighs. She stands, stabs out, stubs out cigarette, heads off into the unknown. We stay in the courtyard. Connie opens the door off screen. Connie off screen. Yes, question mark. Visitor off screen. Good morning. Connie. Morning. Visitor. Is this a kin's head? Question mark. Connie. What's sign say? Question mark. Visitor. This is kin's head. Connie. Bingo. Full stop. What do you want? Question mark. Visitor, are you Connie Mortison? Question mark. Connie, yes. Full stop. What do you want? Question mark. Visitor, can I come in? Question mark. Connie sighs. Connie, we're closed. Full stop. Visitor, five minutes. Full stop. That's all I asked. Full stop. Connie sighs again. Connie, four minutes. Full stop. Their footsteps approach. Connie enters first. She walks back to her bench, ponders enough cigarette. The visitor enters. Tall, trench coat, fedora. He remains stood. Visitor. Nice place. Full stop. Connie. Fants. Full stop. Parenthicals. Sits. What do you want? Question mark. Visitor. A chat. Connie. About? Question mark. Visitor. Sorry. Full stop. He approaches Connie. Comma. Extending his hand. Full stop. Visitor, name's Johan Quinn, full stop. I'm a private detective, full stop. Connie warily shakes his hand. Johan, don't worry, comma, there's nothing insidious about my visit, full stop. Like I said, comma, I'm just here for a chat, full stop. They part hands, full stop. Connie, I am a tad sceptical. Johan sits. Johan, it's purely routine. Connie gestures. Johan, merci. He produces a leather notepad and stub pencil. A notepad opens from the top. Johan, now I've been hired by the Willow Walser. Full stop. It concerns the disappearance of her son, comma, Fernando. If Connie knew something, she's hiding it with, except for a slight nostril flare. It isn't clear whether Johan's noticed. Johan, did the what? Did the wolves? Yeah, fuck. That's not part of dialogue. Did the Wolfsops visit this establishment? Question mark. Connie. All do. Johan. All? Question mark. Connie. All. Full stop. Johan. It's quite a claim. Connie. It's truth. I have the receipts. Johan. 
Can I see them? Question mark. His stern tone takes Connie aback briefly. Johan chuckles to relieve the tension. Johan, I tease. Connie breathes a sigh of relief. Johan replies, did they visit often? Question mark. Johan. Connie, rather, not Johan. Connie replies, on Thursdays. Full stop. That was karaoke night. Full stop. Johan. The best of nights. Full stop. He writes as she, he writes as he talks. Johan. Which family members visited? Connie. Don't you know? Johan stops writing. Johan. I do. He gives her a fleeting glance. Do you? Connie. The widow Wolfswoop, Abigail, her sister Claudette, and her son Fernando. Joanne, did they attend each week? Connie, like clockwork. Joanne, including last week? Connie, no. Johan, and why do you think that is? Connie, not my place to say. Joanne looks up, fixes a cold stare. Try. It's crystal clear this isn't routine anymore. This is a foreign interrogation. Connie, if I had to guess, I'd say marital discord. Joanne jots that down. Joanne. Where were you last Friday? There's no answer. Johan, silence is seen by some as an admission of guilt. Connie, is smoking? Johan, to some. Connie pulls out, produces pack of crab smokes, puts them on table. She pulls one out. Connie, got a light? Johan produces the lighter. He leans in, lighting her smoke for her. Connie, tar. Johan, where were you last Friday? Connie, here. Johan, can anyone verify? Connie, 30. Johan, all sober? Parenthicals, then. I think this may not be most trustworthy of folk. Connie, maybe 10. Johan, well, I'll need names. Connie savours her cigarette, drawing out as long as she can. Connie, I must apologise. Johan, 4. Connie, not offering food or drink. Johan, well, you are closed. Connie, a host must never be closed. Johan is growing more irritated by the second. Johan, okay. He shuts the notepad. I'll take an HL. Connie, capital. Johan, Bahem. Connie, any food? Johan, just the ale. He realises he's showing anger and quickly cuts back to a chuckle. Johan, maybe a savoury cracker and some of your finest American cheese. Connie stands. Parenthicals, fake smile. Connie, coming up. We followed her into interior of the King's Head Bar and continue with her through the bar, empty with chairs stacked on tables, through to interior of the King's Head Kitchen. Flicking lights on, she enters. Of a near Carmackley face, she lets the truth of situation and fear consume her, hands resting on the counter. She shuts her eyes, her lips tremor. The fear passes, her eyes pop open. Steely termination suffuses her gaze. She opens the cabinet, pulls out a plate and some crackers, places them on the counter. Connie walks through the fridge, opens it, pouring out a pack of American cheese. She slams it onto the plate. Her eyes go to a drawer. She hesitates for a second, snaps out of it, pops the drawer open. It's full of cutlery. A sharp knife pierces her attention. Peaks her attention, rather. Insert Connie in her younger days, framed against an alleyway, face dripping blood, holding a blood-soaked knife, looking utterly feral. End insert. In present, she grabs the knife, tooting her head to guard it side-on. She stirs it, timidly pockets the knife. Grabbing a platter of cheese and crackers, she exits the kitchen into interior of the Kinshead Bar.
where she finds Joanne sat in bar waiting for her. Joanne, a change of scenery. Connie walks by the bar. She places cheese and crackers in front of Joanne. Johan, no knife? That comment stings briefly. Johan chuckles away. Johan, I tease! He rips open crackers and cheese, messily tucking in with his hands. It's very disconcerting. Johan, parentheses between mouthfuls. Don't forget the ale. How could anyone win in such a situation? Connie also slowly pours an ale, her eyes never leaving Johan for a second. She tops the ale. It's a perfect pint. It's handed to Johan. Joanne, mercy. He takes a hearty sip. Joanne, you've earned one yourself. Connie, I don't drink. Joanne, you've still earned one. Parenthetical's name. Annie. Connie reacts to that name. Johan, yes, I know. But I must say, you play quite the cool cat. He slides the plate away, gulps Samuel. Johan, but there are some tears. He, t- he taps his nose. Johan, like your flaring nostril. Most would dismiss it offhand, but I do my research. Annie, then you know, Johan, that he's your son, of course, but matters not. Per the laws of Vale, you forfeit your claim. The boy is not an Oakley. Annie, I re- I was tricked. Johan, fair to say, he finishes his ale. Johan, exquisite. Parentheticals, where is he? Annie, you already know. Johan, please, Annie, do not presume this path you tread down ends with. Annie, for you, question mark. Johan, for any of us. He gently moves the pint glass aside. Johan, sure you may kill me. It's a possibility. May even get to the station with your boy, but you can't outrun the handman of the veil. Not off what you've done. A single tear rolls down Annie's cheek. Johan, come now, there's no need for tears. Annie wipes the tear away. Annie, this tear isn't for me. Johan regards her with confusion. Lightning quick, Annie pulls the knife from her pocket and stabs Johan three times in the upper left of his chest. He curses... He curses, third hit and pull out, sending him backwards when he crashes to the floor. Blood spurts from the wound. Johan fights in vain, not to scream. Annie slowly walks around by towards Johan. Blood drip, 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 drips onto the floor. Johan, please don't do this. Annie, would you walk away? Could you? Johan can't answer. Annie, then how can I? She stops just shy of Johan. Knife is raised in the air, blood dripping from the blade. Johan lifts his hands to protect his face. The knife is brought down sharply. A single gunshot rings out, a knife clattering to the floor. Blood drips down Annie's face from gunshot to the forehead. Her last expression is one of confusion. She falls to her knees, dying without any fanfare. The shooter stands behind her, a short man named Sergio, who's just taken a silence at that very second. Joanne sees him. Joanne, thank you, my friend. He reaches out with a hand. Sergio takes it, pulling Joanne up with a mutual strain. They regard the body before them. Joanne, I know what you're thinking. Sergio. I know what you're thinking, Sergio. Sounds of scurrying become audible. Joanne, what of the boy? He regards his wound. Joanne, well, I'm in no state to deal with such a child in you. Parentheticals, right? You lack tat. No, I think that would be enough case for another day. Fade to credits. A twangy western theme plays. The names appear in blood red as if ripped from pages of tales from Crip comic book or some such in red text. Name silence. Title card. Chapter two. Hangman of the Veil. It's broken by Canary. Off screen. All right, you neo literal some bitches. Listen up and listen good. Fade in. Exterior. Wendover woods dusk. 
A makeshift campfire has been erected. Around it sit seven women, encompassing range of ethnicities, orientations and shape sizes. Yet they all share both a fierceness and a rap sense of war as they listen to Margaret Jane Canary. Women equal parts compassionate and tough. Her face has seen worse humanity and soon maintained her own. Most of it, any rate. Kuno, y'all are here for but one reason and one reason only, to look at the hand of Canary Jane, much as I learned from a wild bastard named Boo, but this ain't no picnic, parenthesis B. When I say this ain't no picnic, I expect y'all no good frontier fucks to say it back. The frontier fucks to say it ain't no picnic in unison. Canary, goddamn right. Because ain't a bag of fun do what we've been ordained to do. See, the fine folks in Parliament would have us live, would have us believe the war is over, which ain't. The frontier fucks repeating it ain't over. Canary, wars don't end that way. They end like Hiroshima with the re- fear of a nation and Scotland will fear us because we ain't going to fight no PR war. We're going to make them suffer. She kneels by a burlap sack, pulls out a sturdy bit of rope canary and they will call us the handman the veil for we will hang those haggis quaffing barbarians from neck to their life passes. She stands, holds rope up, clicks her fingers. Canary, now this is her. She stops. She's a woman called Vance. Some call Furious, and some call Furious Vance. Raise a hand. She's Scott-born, English-raised, a wild card. Canary, don't got raise your hand. Speak your mind freely. We all friends here. Furious Vance, rope too good for them. Canary, rope too good? With permission, I'd like to use my nails and some eyes. Canary, you can, but they die hanging. Now, Furious Vance raises her hand again. Canary, don't got to raise your hand. Furious Vance, why you gotta be so specific? Canary, for the fear factor. Furious Vance, what about the fun? Canary, fun comes later. She's got a place. Canary, where was I? It's clear she doesn't know. Ah, oh, fuck it. Hand me some bastards. A cheer goes up from the assembled. It's still at the white swan dawn. A lower end side door pub. Minster Prime, parenthesis prelap. Where is he? Interior of the white swan bar. Scottish Minster Prime is stood by the bar. He looks rattles. He talks to Simfet going off this smoking mirrors pub. A middle-aged woman named Edie. They speak in Scottish with subtitles, but I can't speak Scottish, so you just have to understand. Edie, in the back by the karaoke machine. Minster Prime, by the karaoke machine. Edie, right by it. Minster Prime, but he hates karaoke. Edie, hence my concern. Minster Prime. Has he spoken, Edie, in vague terms? Minster Prime considers that. Minster Prime, what do you say? Edie, they saw the devil. Minster Prime, the devil? Edie, the devil. Minster Prime, which devil? Edie looks at him oddly. Edie, does it matter? She gets no answer. Edie walks pine bar. She starts pouring pint for rough strong ale. Minster Prime, bit early drink. Edie, it's not for me. She slides him in glass. Edie, there you go. Minster Prime, I don't drink. Edie starts pouring pint, second pint veil. Edie, I didn't either. Minster Prime shakes his head. He grabs his pint, head swords her back. Edie remains. She forces the pint down. Interior of the white swan pool area. Minster Prime walks past dimly lit pool tables. In bats it's true. A young man's face has been cut ribbons. His once light hair is soaked in blood. A nasty cut covers his neck. Hallmark of, hallmark of an attempted lynching. The starkness sends a chew down Prime's spine. Drew, brother, he speaks and coughs raspily. Minster Prime, you look, parenthesis, terrible. They both laugh, Drew weakly. Drew, women still like scars, right? Minster Prime, they do, Drew. 
I thought so. He pulls himself to stand in position. He takes a lot of exertion. Minster Prime, do you need a hand? Drew, I prefer smoke. Mr P nods. He pulls back smokes from his pocket, offering it. Drew takes it eagerly. He pockets the smokes, produces a zippo light. Flips along lights. Drew hips, sits perts, hits a smoking cigarette. Drew, thanks. Drew savors the smoke. M. Minster Prime, welcome, little pro. Drew. I met Hanman the Veil. Minster eyes wide, Prime's wide, eyes widening in fear. Window woods dusk. The sun sets on Drew's scarless face. His previous eve, his youthful features shown Drew fears. He hears uproarious unhinged laughter. Canary. Okay, cut him down. A rope's cut. A humble drops. A sickening thud ensuing. Canary stands by the corpse. She lights a cigar. Has mannerisms of the A-team era George Papard. Canary. Dump this boy in town. Two hangmen for lecture and charity. Charities of Roman eye. Dump the corpse of a wheelbarrow. Canary slowly approaches through. She's flanked by a machete packing furious fans. Canary. Do you know that man we just killed? Drew doesn't react. You don't speak English, do you? Drew says, Steve. Canary, shit. Parent, of course. Selluk! On nearby Bart's, it's Selluk. A pit bull of a woman in rage staring a hole through Drew. Selluk, thick. Parental thick accent. I canary. Can you translate? Sir Selleck leaps to her feet as she stomps over. Selleck. Narration in Scottish subtitles. Hangman all had reason fight and respect cause. She stops to shy Drew. Selleck narration. I'd have done this for free. Selleck pops some gum. She chews briefly, wanting to keep tension going. It gets to Drew near to urination level. Finally, she looks canary, gives a small nod. Canary. Why are you here, boy? Selleck translates. Drew, I just want a fresh start. At heart, I'm a farmer. Selleck translates. Canary, bullshit, you tell me they ain't got farms in Scotland? Selleck translates. Drew shakes his head. Drew, I was banished. Told to live here in Frontier. Selleck translates. Yeah, well, we don't want you either, but you can be of some use. Selleck translates. Drew's face fills the frame. Realisation of his fate dawns and he realises that Drew they caught isn't Drew who will leave. Canary. Do you know this woman? Canary points at Selleck as Selleck translates. Drew nods. Canary. Who is she? The image freezes. The author voiceover. Selleck was a case of a woman that people wrongly assumed had basic morality. Interior of the study. Very Victorian. Constance Levine smokes an old pipe. Reading his manuscript. Constance. Reading her manuscript, rather. Constance. She joined the England-Scotland war to clear about repercussion. Now, who is not important? When war ended, she took the king's Scottish high command. Insert. A Scottish lord dines with his family, a wife, two late teen sons. As a harpist, harpist plays aimlessly. Second is with large brick, encased in skulls one by one. By the end, she's soaked in blood. She leaves the harpist alive. End insert. Constance. Narration. Leaving Harpist alive was a downfall. Insert. A chain of masts Selleck is thrown from a truck at Scotland-England border. A truck drives away. Constance. Narration. She's banished to England, so High Command could not officially... High Command could not officially recognise a monster. She would never have recruited in the first place. End insert. Set kneels by Drew, and from this point she faced translating for Canary while actually speaking what she wants to speak. Canary, I ask you a question. You deaf or you just ignorant? I've half mind to circuit and carve you up like turkey. Salak, I don't care about its war, hurt or anyone. I just want hurt people. People like you, Drew. 
Furious France stares at Sir quizzically. Couldn't they? Now I'm going to spare you because I want you to send a message to Minister Prime. You told that cocksucker that we're going down the list. When we get number goose egg, I'm going to take his fucking eyes. Sir, look, they'd hang you. I let them think that was cricket, but I have ideas. I just want to see if a man like you could or would eat his own body parts. Send the words prompt Drew throw up violently all over Canary. Canary, god fucking damn, parenthetical, so she stands some of a whore. Sadler takes her opportunity, grabbing Fierce Francis' mache and pounces on Drew, knocking him to the ground. She cuts his face to ribbons. Fierce Francis, what the fuck? Sadler continues cutting. Fierce Francis, that's my thing! I have the mache! Sadler ignores her. She's now soaked in Drew's blood, a slash of smile on her face. Canary calms, sees it, let's live it. Canary, that's enough. Sadler stops cutting. Canary, it's enough to ask for one mission that doesn't go to shit. She walks over to Drew, kneeling by him. She ties over the badly beaten Scott Canary. It does shit for you, for you carved. Sailor clipped English. No, he did not. Canary, shit it. Sailor shrugs. She pushes Blame Machete in Furious France's chest softly. Sailor, it's rusty. Furious France, keep talking, me and you are going to go round and round and round. Sir laughs some. A subsequent wind shown for lack of fear. She walks away for a quick post coitus style smoke. Fierce France approaches Canary. Fierce France, untrust her. Canary, you think I do? Parenthetical. She speaks Scottish. We need someone to speak Scottish as she stands. Fierce France, we can learn Scottish. Canary, you gonna? Parenthetical, silence. They gonna? More silence. For as such. Sides, a psychopath got used. Fierce France, okay, I get that. But cutting to the chase, what are we gonna do if old Scottish Drew here? Canary, we hangmen, Vance. And it's men we hang. Interior of the white swung. Poor area. Minster Prime downs his pint. Nearly traumatised by the story. Drew, I feel the same way. Minster Prime, how do you survive? Drew, I blacked out. Woke up here. Minster Prime, quietly. No. You must grow a bigger myth. Our people must view the hangmen's ineffectual cowards. Drew, they're the real deal. Minster Prime. Parenthetical's huge. No! Small parentheticals. They would not be given such a degree of power. We will write the history here. I will not yield to cowards, Drew. And Selleck? Minister Prime spits in disgust. Minister Prime, Selleck wants to crown your Scottish magistrate. My number one. She threw their way to state of vile bloodlust. I'm saddened it's gone this way, but I deny her import. I deny it! Parenthetical sighs. And yet she did that to you, my king. A king who showed weakness. The decisions I face and choices I make for my tower will haunt me, Drew. So you mean to kill me? Minister Prime, what? No. Drew, I I got that vibe. Minister Prime, there was no vibe. Drew, there was a vibe. Minister Prime, the vibe was unintentional. Drew, still a vibe. Minister Prime, forget the vibe. Drew, mind slipping mouth shut. Minister Prime, that said, an idea forms. We rehab our image and restore Scottish pride using our proud monument being Scottish and its long unused lies. Tell me, brother, when do you last watch Scottish wrestling? And actually, and for now, holy shit, I don't go and do 15 minutes and I spoke 22 minutes. But that's the first patch of this script and hopefully I'll be back soon with some more. So I guess it's time for the Shudder movie of the week. I was half me, I was half watching this one because I was having a lovely conversation on them. Facebook chat, um, but you know what can do anyway. Movie I watched this week was the Clive Barker, Clive Barker classic Heck Razor. 
Of course, the movie's titled Hellraiser, but the fact is that you probably don't understand what I just said. And the reason I don't understand what I just said is I have trouble with certain letters. Is a weird quirk of mine. In this case, you can probably work out the letter I have a problem with. So I call it Heckraiser. Heckraiser is a movie about Pinhead and a woman named Kirsty. It's a big complex movie. I'm sure you've heard of it. Essentially, it deals with... Um, demonic pleasure givers for lack of a better word a horrible man named frank who summons who dies and is taken dies in pursuit of pleasure uh he opens a lamont configuration box or something like that and then he's pulled into a demonic dimension and no move starts from there the thing with Hackraiser is it's it's a really, really good movie and it's really, really intense and it's incredibly violent. And it's generally a movie which gives you a sense of unease. It's not about jump scares, and that's why I like There's maybe a couple of moments in there where you might think this is jump scare, but it's done so much more subtly. There's no real musical stings or anything like that, which don't get me wrong, can be good in certain situations to have a musical sting, but in other situations just got to turn around and seeing something horrific. And trust me, and I say, there are a few things more horrific than the imagination of Clive Barker. Just the character seeing something horrific can be an experience on its own. In this case, it's definitely an experience. I've watched this movie a lot, which makes it easier to talk about, because, which is good, because last week's review was kind of shoddy. And really, my feeling towards Heckraiser... I love that. I wish that was actually the title. It's not, it's a weird movie. And when you say weird movie, it's like it, it's a main, relatively mainstream horror movie, but it's dealing with like sets and S and M. I mean, sets obviously to place, but this is like seems more raw, real. If that makes any sense, you know, especially being frank and all that. He's a very sexually manipulative and cruel person. And the themes it's dealing with are a bit alien to American horror movies, which normally quite sort of chaste almost. They claim that they're not, but they really are. You'll get, like, teenagers in the American horror, or adults playing teenagers, engaging in very vanilla sets, and that seems scandalous. But then get a movie like this, and it's like, there's lots of lust, there's lots of, you know, intermarital discord and things like that, sleeping for your your husband's brother, your husband's brother trying to seduce your his niece and things like that. So a lot of really weird, it's borderline exploitative stuff, which actually works well in the context of this movie because it feels a, it feels a bit grimy and, you know, cruel and seedy for lack of a better term it's kind of like Clive Barker's elevating the idea of a grindhouse horror movie to artistic levels by adding in snatches of weirdness and bits and pieces of existentialism and just generally a few big concepts but not doing it in a big concept you wear if that makes any sense he's clearly saying something about humanity here but not making a bit sure of it it's quite subtle, which is strange because it's also an unsubtle horror movie. But it's also very, very nasty to watch. And I say that with most respect for Clive Barker because he creates a universe where 
I guess in a way all myths are true to Clive Barker. They're just per- subverted and perverted in a way by his particular idiosyncrasies. And it's really interesting how he creates this character, these characters who exist solely to uncover new forms of pleasure and then punish people when they uncover new forms of pleasure. It's kind of an interesting contrast there. And of course, going from that, you have character of Pinhead, who is a horror icon among horror icons, but at the same time, hasn't been able to translate to a different actor. Seems the original guy who played Pinhead, I forgot his name at the moment, did such a good job. Nothing else plays him, does an okay job, but it's like the character is the actor, and the actor is the character. Obviously, the actor doesn't go around doing things like this in real life, but for all intents and purposes, he embod- he invested that character with so much that you know, other actors aren't able to take up. <sighs> so yawning. I mean, I, I think the problem is with these horror icons, you can't show, really show different aspects to them. Or maybe you could, but writing never reflects that. It's why Freddy was played by an equally good actor in Reboot, Freddy Krueger, by Jackie Haley, but an amazing actor, really good, but they didn't give him anything to work with. If you don't have anything to work with, you're not going to succeed in the, like a reinterpretation of a horror character, you know. When they reinterpret Shakespeare characters like Othello or, you know, Hamlet, or when they... um. The the Poirot ones with uh, Kenneth Branagh. If if there's writing that plays up to the actor's strengths or writing that challenges them some way, it works. But if it's just like, oh, they'll play the character and it'll be a different thing, it's like it doesn't work. It needs to be more than that. Um, what if I say? Yeah, so I'm recording this in the morning. I I really enjoyed this movie. I had a good time. You know, it's fun. It's watchable, it's intense, definitely recommend it. You know, Shudder's got some good stuff on there now. Um, I, of course, go straight to movies like this because, you know, for all my talk, after Shudder Mania, I watched all the experimental Shudder movies, um, Night Candle for one year. So I'm trying to watch some more I'm familiar with because I find I do slightly better reviews of those. And great heck raises on Shudder now. Definitely watch it. Um, I'll probably be watching Heck Razor two next week, and then maybe documentary on Heck Razor. I'd love to go for the entire series, but I don't think they're on Shudder. Anyway, this is your boy in Austin. Uh, there'll be enough segment after this, but Shudder movie of the week will be back next week. And now reading from from Dusty Dawn. The brilliant script by Quentin Tarantino. Cut to a neon sign that flashes the Titty Twister biker slash trucker bar dust to dawn. Underneath the joint, underneath the joint's proud name on the sign, and on top of biker trucker bar dust to dawn, is a well-endowed woman whose breast is being twisted by a neon hand. It's still a Titty Twister night. The neon sign sits on top of the rudest, sleaziest, most crab-infested strip joint honky tonk whorehouse in North Mexico. The Titty Twister is located in the middle of nowhere's theme. It sits by itself, nothing around it for miles. A plethora of choppers and 18-wheelers parked down front. The walls almost pulsate from loud, raunchy music within structure. Signs cover the walls outside reading things like new dancing, whores, beer, authentic Mexican food, 
Bikers and truckers only. Open dust to dawn. Thursday cockfight night. Wednesday dogfight night. Donkey show Mondays. <laughs> Every Friday bare knuckle fight to death. Featuring lovely, lovely Santanko pandemonium. Athena and Danny one pony and sleazy titty twist the dancers. In parking lot, a biker and a truck drive beat shit out of each other. One for pipe, the other with hammer. A second biker fucks a tea, twists a whore against the wall. A greasy man known as Chet Pussy, Che Pussy, stands in parking lot, soliciting customers for a Mr. Microphone. Pussy, Pussy, Pussy! Oh, Pussy must gird the tea twister, we're slashing Pussy in half! It's a Pussy blowout, make us an offer on our bus, selection of Pussy! We got white Pussy, black Pussy, Spanish Pussy, yellow Pussy, hot Pussy, cold Pussy, wet Pussy, tight Pussy, big Pussy, play Pussy, fat Pussy, fairy Pussy, <laughs> belly Pussy, baby Pussy, sick pussy, not like pussy, snapping pussy, horse pussy, dog pussy, moon pussy, fake pussy. If we don't have it, you don't want it. And we'll cut ahead to his next bit. Um, <laughs> Take advantage of our penny pussy sale. Buy any piece of pussy at a regular price, you get enough piece of pussy of equal or lesser value for a penny. Now try and beat pussy for a penny. If you can find cheaper pussy anywhere, fuck it. <laughs> I love my life sometimes. Um, I don't know how I'm going to top that next week, but I'll give it a try. <laughs> so that's it for another week. One episode this week. I didn't do everything I planned to do, but I did everything that I could do, so that's a good sign. Thanks everyone for listening in, as always. It's always a rare treat to have such lovely folk hanging on... Not hanging on my every word, but hang, hanging on several words. Um... Thank you for listening. I don't really know what to say other than this was another fantabulously weird podcast. Um, not quite podcast people expected. I forgot to do Week in Horror. Um, so I'm sorry about that. But sorry, that's tapped and hell. So. Yeah, I forgot to do Week in Horror. Um, I would apologise, but my kettle's fucked. So I'm doing what I can. Uh, other things I've got to do. Have a good podcast, but I forget that every week, so that's nothing serious. Next week's episode, um, maybe a clip show. I might be doing a Shug Mania clip show over the next few weeks because I've got um, to get ready for IOCTIS Halloween 2, which is coming up at the end of the month. So, you know, podcast specials and all that. First one for a while. Um, yes, that'll be cool. Um, but hey, this is another episode of Friday Night Fright. This is your boy Ian Austin saying, remember, life is beautiful. I'll see you on the flip side.